If you haven't already, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter number 11. Daniel chapter number 11. We're going to begin Daniel's final vision. Daniel's final vision. Before we get into Daniel chapter number 11 verse 1, I want to go back one verse to the end of Daniel chapter number 10. The last verse of Daniel chapter number 10 says, But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael your prince. I want you to understand that what we're going to be talking about in Daniel chapter number 11, for in Daniel's day was becoming a written down part of God's word, what he is about to talk about was already written down in heaven in what is known as the scripture of truth. And there are many things in God's Word that we would like to know about. We, um, we have everything in God's Word that we need to know about. There are many things we would like to know about but are not here in God's Word. Yet God knows what it is. It's already written down in heaven. And God knows the future from the past. Right now, during this time of coronavirus, we're all experiencing something we've never um, dealt with before. Uh, we don't know what it's like. Um, we're learning what it's like to be um, having to shelter in place and not be able to associate with friends as much as we would like to. Even though this is a new experience for us, God already knew that this virus would come to our country. He knows what the end will be. He's going to work His will. He's going to work His way, even in these hard times. And trust in the Lord, because I promise you, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to His purpose. And yes, that even includes the coronavirus. Now as we look in verse number 11 of Daniel chapter 1, we are going to, um, we're going to see a couple of things that I want to talk about before we begin with the rest of it. Daniel chapter number 11 verse 1 is actually the end of um, Daniel chapter 10, the introduction. Notice it says in verse 1, Also I, this is the angel speaking to Daniel, Also I, in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. Now right here we see that the angel speaking to Daniel says that what he's been doing in these battles with these demonic forces went all the way back to the first year of Darius the Mede. The term stood in verse number 1 of chapter 11, the, um, the word stood denotes a military. Um, it's a military word, meaning to, to stand and defend. And what he was doing here, this angel, all the way back even in Darius's first year was he was fighting against the devil's schemes. We learned that in Daniel chapter 5 we saw the fall of the Babylonian empire and we saw a new regime come in, a new empire in Daniel 6. It wasn't just a geographical changing of the political spectrum. It wasn't just a physical changing of the political spectrum, but it was also in, this, um, in the spiritual world a change as well. We see that it said from the first year of Darius. As we study the book of Daniel, we see in Daniel chapter 6, during the time of Darius, there was an effort made to defeat Daniel in the lion's den. Satan was working against God's people even in the years of Darius the king. And God's angels were fighting for Israel, were fighting for God's people even in those dark days. And God, um, God's way worked through it all. Now as we look in Daniel chapter number 11, we're going to be um, seeing a few things that are going to be very different from what we've seen in previous books. 
Many people attack the book of Daniel and say that it is not a book that was written in Daniel's day, but rather a book that was written um, probably in the 2nd century B.C., according to liberal critics, because they look at Daniel chapter 11 and say the prophecies in Daniel chapter 11 are so specific that they could not really be prophecy. The first person to actually um, promote this idea was a heathen philosopher by the name of Porphyry. Porphyry lived in the 3rd century A.D., and um, as he began to look at it, he began to argue that his, the history of, um, of that time period corresponded closely to the prophecies of Daniel, chapter 11, verses 1 through 35. When he saw that it was so precise, he said because of these prophecies being so precise, that um, Porphyry was persuaded that no one could have really prophesied these events. And he argued that Daniel had to be written in the 2nd century B.C. after these events occurred. In fact, everyone who argues for a late um, writing of the book of Daniel, they say Daniel didn't really write it. Um, The stories were made up by someone who lived long after Daniel was supposed to live. They argue that it was a later book, um, writing of a book, because of Daniel chapter number 11. They say these prophecies are just so specific They could not have been written before the fact. They had to be written after the fact. They say there's nowhere else in the Bible, nowhere else in the Bible where we see such specific prophecies. But that's not true. As we study the Word of God, we see many specific prophecies in the Bible, including the Messianic prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. We see in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the Bible says, But thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. We see in this prophecy that God gives the specific place that Jesus Christ would be born, that he would be born in Bethlehem. We even see more specific prophecies in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah prophesies concerning Cyrus the Great, He says in Isaiah 48, verse 28, Thus saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Now Isaiah was written centuries before Cyrus would live. Yet here in the book of Isaiah chapter 48, Cyrus is um, called by name, And what he would do for the Jewish people was written down and was fulfilled precisely as Isaiah said. The arguments against against an early date for the book of, of Daniel just don't hold water. Let me say that the book of Daniel was written during the lifetime of Daniel. It was written by Daniel himself. And Daniel precisely prophesied what would come for the Jewish people. Now another argument against this is that these prophecies deal with something that to us today seem very insignificant. Most of the people that are prophesied about in Daniel chapter 11 are not known by people who sit in churches today. In fact, they're not known by most people living in the world today. These are people who have been long forgotten by history, yet God took the time to give a prophecy about them. They say this couldn't possibly be true because why would God, why would God prophesy about such people that 
in our day doesn't seem to matter very much. Well, the reason for that is this. Even though today we do not recognize these people, in the time of Jesus Christ, these people were well known. And what they did in Jesus' day is confirm through Daniel the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. As we look now, we're going to look into these prophecies and we're going to hear about many different people in history as we go forward. Let's look in verse number 2 of the book of Daniel chapter 11. The Bible says, The angel speaking, And now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Grecia. So right here, Daniel is being told by the angel that after Cyrus the Great, there would rise up four kings. Now those four kings that succeeded Darius were named Cambyses, Smyrdas, Darius Hestapes, and Xerxes I. Each one of these kings would rise up, and they would rise up and grow in power, in prestige, and in wealth. It would reach its apex under the king Xerxes I. He is the fourth king that is mentioned here in the book of Daniel chapter 11 verse 2. Notice it says concerning this man, he would be far richer than they all. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Grecia. We see here that during the reign of Xerxes I, by the way, Xerxes I would be King Ahasuerus of Esther, the book of Esther, the one who married Esther. When he reached his apex, he built an army that numbered in the hundreds of thousands. Many people say that his army was a million men, and he took his great army, the largest army in the ancient world, and marched it against the nation of Greece. Now, many great battles occurred during this time, most famously the Battle of Marathon, where the Persian army was defeated. Also, the Battle of Thermopylae, the great Battle of Thermopylae, occurred during this time as well. And when he attacked Greece, he was defeated by the Greek navy and the Greek army, and he had to go back to Persia. After this attack, after this war by Xerxes I, the power of Persia would begin to decline and the power of Greece would begin to rise. So according to the prophecies of God, God only names four kings. There were kings that came after Xerxes I that ruled the Persian Empire, but in prophecy they were not important because now a new power is beginning to rise and that power was the power of Greece. We see this in, chapter, in verse 3. In verse 4, we hear the prophecy about Alexander the Great. The Bible says in verse 3, And a mighty king shall stand up that shall um, rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity, nor according to his dominion which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others beside those. The man who he's referring to as the mighty king was Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great built a great kingdom. He built it very, very quickly. In fact, Alexander the Great had conquered the known world by the time he turned 30 years old. He had conquered the entire known world. He was a man of great 
military genius. But he died at the age of 30, and that great empire that he built up was not left to his children. Alexander the Great would have two children in his, um, either in his lifetime or, at, or was born after he died. A, man by, a boy by the name of Hercules and another boy named also after Alexander. Both these young boys of Alexander would be murdered. And the person who would come to power would actually be four men. Those men would be Alexander's generals and they would divide the empire among them. Notice it says in Daniel 11.4, it says his kingdom shall be broken. It would be broken when he shall stand up. In other words, when he had reached into his strength, when he had grown up into his power, as soon as he had conquered, he would die and his kingdom would be broken. Notice it says it would be divided towards the four winds of heaven. This refers to the four generals that divided the empire among them. If you see the PowerPoint beside the message this evening, you'll notice I have a map of the ancient world showing the division of Alexander's kingdom. Now, two of the, um, the first two generals they, um, they divided among, amongst was Cassander and Lysimachus. Lysimachus. Those two men are not important in Bible prophecy. The other two men are important as it pertains to Daniel chapter 11. Those two men were known as Seleucus, the general, who would take over the region of Syria and Babylon, and a king by the name of Ptolemy, who would rule over Egypt. Now, in the book of Daniel, I want you to understand that when we hear about the king of the south, it is referring to the region of Egypt and the king known as Ptolemy and his descendants. When we hear about the king of the north, in the first part of the book of Daniel, chapter 11, it's referring to Seleucus and to his posterity that followed after him, those kings over Syria. And as we look at this nation, this empire divided amongst themselves, the Bible says in verse number 5, And the king of the south shall be strong, and one of his princes, and he shall be strong above him, and have dominion, his dominion shall be a great dominion. So right here we see that Chapter 11, verse number 5, deals with two men. Those men are known as Ptolemy I, the general that succeeded after Alexander's empire, I meant kingdom, over the nation of Egypt, and Seleucus, the first king over the region of Syria and, um, and Babylon. Now, Ptolemy over here would be strong. Seleucus would have to fight for his region against another man who tried to take over the kingdom that it was divided to him. He had to go down to Ptolemy's kingdom and ask for help. And during that time, Ptolemy Soter, Ptolemy I, came up and helped um, Seleucus Nicator. And he went up there and he defeated that general who had fought against Seleucus's kingdom and restored Seleucus to power. Now right here we notice that they worked together and it seemed like the bonds between them would be good. However, even though Ptolemy had to fight for Seleucus's kingdom to be restored to him, Seleucus would receive his kingdom, his kingdom would grow great in land, and also his armies would grow great in strength. And even though it was Ptolemy who gave Seleucus his kingdom, it would be Seleucus who had become stronger than Ptolemy. That is what is referred to in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 5. Next, in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 6, we hear of a marriage between the daughter of Egypt and the king of Syria. Notice it says in verse number 6, 
And in the end of years they shall join themselves together. For the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the power of the arm, neither shall, she, shall he stand, nor his arm, but she shall be given up. And they that brought her, and he that begat her, and he that strengthened her in these years. Now during this time, Ptolemy II, the son of Ptolemy I, would try to marry off his daughter, Berenice, to the king of Syria, a man by the name of Seleucus. The only problem is Seleucus was already married, and he was in love with a woman by the name of Laodice. Laodice was the first wife of Seleucus, and they had a good relationship. But the king of Egypt wanted to make a peace treaty between him and Syria so there would be no wars together. And in sealing that treaty, he wanted him to marry his daughter. In order to marry his daughter, Seleucus was required to put away his first wife, Laodice. And he did that and married her. And he was happily married to Berenice as long as Berenice's father was still alive. But the day that Ptolemy II died in the year 252... B.C., the king of Assyria, Seleucus, put away the wife that was the daughter of Ptolemy and sent her back to Egypt. Not only that, Laodice, he remarried her. And everything seemed to be going great until Laodice remembered how her husband had wronged her those many years before. And she killed Berenice, killed Berenice's son that she had with Seleucus, and then killed her own husband and set up her son as king, and ruled with her son over the region of Syria. And this is what Daniel chapter 11, verse 6 refers to. Verse number 7, we see the, the, um, the, the continuance of this problem. After the king of Egypt died, um, his son, Berenice's brother, became king of Egypt. His name was Ptolemy Eurgetes which means the benefactor. He was known for fighting a great war with the man who would succeed, um, Laodice's son, Seleucus Callinicus. We read about this in verse number 7 of the book of Daniel. This covers the events around the year 240 B.C. The Bible says in verse 7, But out of a branch of her roots, talking about Berenice, shall, come one, shall stand up in his estate, which shall come with an army, and shall enter into the fortress of the king of the north, and shall deal against them, and shall prevail. And also, and shall also carry captives into Egypt, their gods, with their princes, and with their precious vessels of silver and of gold, and he shall continue more years than the king of the north. So the king of the south shall come into his kingdom, and shall return into his own land. Now what happens here is, of course, Ptolemy Eurgetes would be upset that his sister was murdered and his, and his nephew was murdered. And so he conducts a war against the king of the north, the king of Syria. He goes into Syria and he has a great victory. The Bible says right here that he goes into the fortress of the king of the north and he carries out their gods, he carries away their princes, he carries away their vessels of silver and gold and carries them back to Egypt. Now, a commentator writing in the 5th century about this passage in Daniel noted from history that this man, Ptolemy Eurgetes, had carried back to Egypt 
the idols and the golden vessels and the silver vessels that were carried away from Egypt during the time of Cyrus the Great. He carried back those very gods, and the people of Egypt rejoiced and gave him the name Eurogetes, which means the benefactor. And he was well renowned amongst his people. Now the Bible says, though, that he would um, come back to his kingdom, and he shall return into his own land. What this refers to is after that initial attack, Seleucus, Callinicus, would regroup and go back down and attack the king of the south. And after he was done attacking, he would not succeed in doing any damage to the king of Egypt, and he would return to his own land. The Bible says, though, that because of this war, the sons of these um, two men would rise up to fight yet again. Notice it says in verse number 10, But his son shall be stirred up, and shall assemble a multitude of great forces. And one shall certainly come and overflow and pass through. Then he shall return and be stirred up even to his fortress. And the king of the south shall be moved with choler, and he shall come forth and fight with him, even with the king of the north. And he shall set forth a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into his hand. And when he hath taken away the multitude, his heart shall be lifted up and shall be cast down many ten thousands, but he shall be not strengthened by it. For the king of the north shall return and shall set forth a multitude greater than the former and shall certainly come after certain years with a great army and with much riches. And in those times there shall many stand up against the king of the south. Also the robbers of thy people shall exalt themselves to establish the vision, but they shall fall. So the king of the north shall come and cast up a mount and take the most fenced cities and the arms of the south shall not withstand. Neither is chosen people, neither shall there be any strength to withstand. But he that cometh against him shall do according to his own will, and none shall stand before him. And he shall stand in the glorious land, which by his hand shall be consumed. He shall also set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom, and upright ones with him. Thus shall he do, and he shall give him the daughter of women, corrupting her, but he shall, but she shall not stand on his side, neither be for him. And after this shall he turn his face unto the isles, and shall take many, but a prince for his own behalf shall cause the reproach offered by him to cease. Without his own reproach he shall cause it to turn upon him. Then shall he turn his face toward the fort of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found." Now right here we see the war of the sons of the previous kings. Um, the king of Egypt would be succeeded by a, name of, by a man by the name of Ptolemy Philippator. Ptolemy Philippator and the king Seleucus Callinicus would be succeeded by his two sons, Seleucus Caramus and Antiochus the Great. Now these two men would fight together against Ptolemy Philippator and they would have great victory in the early years of Ptolemy's reign. Notice it says in verse 10, it says, But his sons, in plural, shall be stirred up, and shall assemble a multitude of great forces. But then it says, And one shall certainly come and overflow. Now at the beginning, both brothers are fighting against the king of Egypt. But very early on, Seleucus Karamis would die. And he would be um, left only one son, a man by the name of Antiochus the Great. 
Now Antiochus the Great was a man of great military genius. He fought against the king of Egypt and he won. He had a great victory over the king of Egypt. Ptolemy then in verse number 11, he moves with anger at being defeated and attacks the north. Yet even though he goes up there to fight against Antiochus the Great, he loses the battle. And his great army that he had assembled, the army of Egypt, would be given into the hand of Antiochus the Great. Antiochus the Great would then go back and try to attack um, Egypt. But every time he would go to attack Egypt, it seemed like he was going to have success. But every time he fought against Egypt, there would be something that would come up that would pull him away from being able to do anything against Egypt. In the year 193, he went against Egypt and he fought against the king. And he had even succeeded in laying siege to Alexandria and he had even captured the king of Egypt, Ptolemy Philippator, and he had put him in bonds and he figured he was about to attack and conquer the city of Alexandria and make the kingdom of Egypt part of his empire. But at that time, another group from history would rise up. A group we know today as the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire would send a man by the name of um, Scipio against him, a consul, and he would meet him out outside the walls of Alexandria. The story goes that as he, as he was holding the king of Egypt hostage, Ptolemy Philippator, the, the consul of, Egypt, of um, Rome, came and spoke to, Seleuc, I mean, to Antiochus the Great. And he told Antiochus the Great after he had drawn a circle around him, that he had to make a decision to either leave Egypt or fight against the Roman army. And he said he had to make that decision before he stepped out of the circle that Scipio had drawn around him. And when that happened, he gave up. He walked away and he surrendered into the Roman hands, Ptolemy Philippator. Because of this support from Rome, he was not able to conquer Egypt. He went back to the king of the north. But the Bible says right here in verse number 17, after this happened, it said, He shall also set his face to enter in with strength of his whole kingdom and upright ones with him, thus shall he do, and he shall give him the daughter of women, corrupting her, but she shall not stand on his side, neither before him. Since he could not fight against the Roman Empire, he decided to give Ptolemy Philippator one of his daughters to marry. And he married his daughter to the king of Egypt, and he figured what would happen is his daughter would love him so much that she would corrupt Ptolemy into siding with him and becoming a lesser king, really being governed by the king of the north. But the Bible says that would not happen. It says that she gave him the daughter of women, corrupting her, but she would not stand on his side, neither before him. She ex he expected her to make the king of Egypt side with him, but unfortunately, it did not work that way. This lady loved her husband and sided with her husband over her father, and his plan did not succeed. And after that, he tried to fight again, but he was not able to do it. And the Bible says in verse 19, Then he shall turn his face toward the fort of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. At the very moment that he would have another chance to fight against Egypt, Antiochus the Great would die, and he would not succeed in conquering the king of the south. Now these men would pass from the scene, and another man is introduced to us, the man known as the raiser of taxes. We see this in verse number 20. Notice that during this time, this time, the king of the north begins to interact 
with the children of Israel. Notice it says in verse 20, Then shall stand up in his estate a razor of taxes in the glory of the kingdom, but within few days he shall be destroyed, neither in anger nor in battle. Now the man that is known as the razor of taxes was a man by the name of Seleucus, Philippator. And because of the rise in power of the Roman Empire, they were about to defeat the army of, I mean, go to battle with the army of Antiochus the Great before he died. But because he died and his son took over after him, a man by the name of Seleucus, Philippator, Seleucus made a deal with the Roman Empire to pay them tribute. 10,000 talents of silver every year. Now, Seleucus did not have that kind of money. So what did he do? He began to raise taxes, raising taxes upon the people that he ruled over, including the children of Israel. And during this time, the children of Israel would suffer under the taxation of the king of the north. Now, according to the Bible, we are told, I mean, not according to the Bible, but according to history, we're told that the man who raised the taxes against the children of Israel, um, a man by the name of Heliopetus, would rise up against Seleucus and he would kill him. And the Bible says that he would be destroyed, not in anger, nor in battle. He would not die in his bed as well, but he would get a, a death that would not be good for a king. Every king wants to die in his bed, in his glory, with an established kingdom. This would not happen for Seleucus. He would die with his feet on, being assassinated by one of his own servants. And the Bible then introduces us to what we'll spend a little more time on, the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes. The rise of Antiochus Epiphanes. Now we've already talked about Antiochus Epiphanes in the book of Daniel, chapter number 9 and chapter number 8. Antiochus Epiphanes is viewed by some people as being the Antichrist. But that is not the case. Antiochus Epiphanes is the foreshadowing of the Antichrist. He is a foretaste of what the Antichrist will do in this world. And if you want to understand what the Antichrist is going to do in the future, we can get a typology of what he's going to do by studying the life of this man as recorded in the book of Daniel, chapter number 11, verse number 21 will begin. The Bible says in verse number 21, about the year 175 B.C., and in his estate shall stand up a vile person, to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. And with the arms of a flood shall they be overflowed, overflown from before him, and shall be broken, yea, also the prince of the covenant. And after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully, for he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people." Now right here we see the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes. As prophesied in the book of Daniel, it says that in this estate would stand up a, a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom. Now this refers to the fact that Antiochus Epiphanes was the brother of Seleucus, the man who had just died, Seleucus, the raiser of taxes. Now Antiochus Epiphanes was not the next in line to, to, um, to receive the throne. Actually, Antiochus' nephew, the son of Seleucus, was the one in line. Antiochus Epiphanes heard his brother died, and he immediately went back to the capital, the capital city of Antioch, the capital of the kingdom of Syria, and he took over and said he would rule as his younger nephew would grow up. But before his young nephew was able to grow up, his young nephew mysteriously died, 
And by killing him, he began to rule over the nation of Syria. Now notice it says here that this vile person in verse 21, he would not be given the honor of the kingdom. He would not get it by succession. He would not get it by the acclaim of the people, but instead he would get it by killing those people who were before him. It says he would come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. He would also work deceitfully, and he would make a league with those people in order to make himself strong. He made a league with many nations and many tribes amongst his people in order to keep his power. As he rose to power, we also see his growth in power in Daniel chapter 11, verse 24. The Bible says, And he shall enter peaceably even upon the fattest places of the province. And he shall do that which his fathers have not done, nor his father's fathers. He shall scatter among them the prey and spoil and riches, yea, and he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds even for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a great and mighty army, but, shall, but he shall not stand, for they shall forecast devices against, them, against him. Yea, they that feed the portion of his meat shall destroy him, and his army shall overflow, and many shall fall down slain. So we see Antiochus' growth in power. Notice it says that in verse 24 that he would enter in peaceably even into the fattest places of the province. When he began to do war, he did war during peacetime. After he had made a peace treaty with the people that were his enemies, he used that peace treaty to attack them when they weren't expecting it and he took over their provinces. But he did something that his father and his grandfather never did. It says in verse 24 that he would scatter the prey and the spoil among them. In other words, instead of keeping all the goods and all the, the wealth of what he had conquered for himself to use as he pleased, he gave the wealth to those people that were under him, those tribal leaders and those leaders of other smaller kingdoms that had worked with him. And because of that, he was able to put together a great coalition to, to, um, to enforce his power. And during this time, the king of the south began to fight against him. The king of the south, Egypt, was stirred up again and attacked Antiochus Epiphanes. But as this king who would attack Antiochus went against him, the Bible says that his kingdom was taken away from him. He was killed, not in battle, but by his own soldiers. They murdered him, and because of the um, time of having no king, a time of chaos in the land of Egypt, the Bible says that many would fall down slain. In other words, he would defeat Egypt so that he would have his power. The problem then became that after he had gotten his power, he had rose to the throne, he had solidified his power in the region. After that, we began to see the wickedness of Antiochus given to us in verse number 27. The Bible says in Daniel 11 verse 27, And both of these kings' hearts shall be to do mischief, and they shall speak lies at one table, but it shall not prosper, for yet the end shall be at the time appointed. And then shall he return into his land with great riches, and his heart shall be against the holy covenant, and he shall do exploits and return unto his land. I want you to notice right here it says that during this time 
that he would make a deal with the king of Egypt. Notice it says in verse 27, And both these kings' hearts shall be to do mischief. Both of these kings would come to the treaty table. The one that succeeded the man who was killed in the previous battle, the king of Egypt, and Antiochus Epiphanes. And they would sit there to make a peace treaty, but both of them came with um, not a clean heart. Both of them lied to each other. They said, we will not fight, we will um, not work against each other, but the whole time they were planning to fight one another. Notice it says in verse 27 that they would not prosper. Antiochus Epiphanes would not prosper against Egypt, neither would Egypt prosper against Antiochus Epiphanes. And the reason for that we see in verse 27, for yet the end shall be at the time appointed. There wouldn't be no peace between Egypt and Syria. The king of the north and the king of the south would not be able to, to stop their struggle against each other. Now, the reason may seem to us when we're looking at the peace treaty table and both of them lying to each other would seem to be because of their hearts. Yet the Bible tells us right here that the reason why they would not be able to make a treaty with each other is because God wasn't through with them. He still had a plan. He was still working out His will. And the time for it to come to an end was not yet. Now it says right here that He would return into His own lands and His heart would be against the Holy Covenant. When you see the word covenant or Holy Covenant, here in the book of Daniel chapter 11, it is referring to the nation of Israel. He would be against the nation of Israel and He would begin to exploit them and He would return to His own land. And the Bible says then, in verse 29, that Antiochus Epiphanes would begin to persecute the Jews. It says in verse number 29, At the time appointed he shall return, and shall come toward the south, but it shall not be as the former or as the latter. So when he comes down to the south, he's not going to have any kind of victory like he had enjoyed before. And the reason for that comes in verse number 30. The Bible says, For the ships of Kittim shall come against him. Therefore he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the holy covenant. So shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenant. When he goes down to attack Egypt, Egypt's benefactor, the Romans, show up and they began to fight against Antiochus Epiphanes. And even though Antiochus Epiphanes had success against the other kingdoms, he had no success against the Roman Empire. And his armies were defeated, and then he had to leave Egypt and return to his kingdom, his capital in Antioch. And as he travels back to Antioch, he passes through Israel, he passes through Jerusalem, and the Bible says at that time he would have indignation against the Holy Covenant. Now, I told you that this man's name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes means Antiochus the Glorious. Antiochus the Glorious. He wanted to be looked upon as a god. He wanted the people to worship him as God. Now, the people did not call him Antiochus Epiphanes. He gave himself that nickname. He wanted people to call him the Glorious. And, of course, the children of Israel would not do that. And because they did not do that, he began to work against them. The Bible says in verse 31, And his arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. So he went to the children of Israel, and he began to fight against them. 
Now because he wanted people to worship him as God, some of the Jews who were not true believers sided with Antiochus. And when they sided with Antiochus, they had success. He gave them wealth. He made them rich because they followed after him. But those Jews who would not worship him, he punished. So much so that one day in the, um, during his reign in the year 172, he went to, to the temple in Jerusalem and he brought with him a pig and offered the pig on the brazen altar as a sacrifice to the god Zeus. And he set up an idol to the god Zeus in the temple. And at that point, the temple became unclean and there was forbidden for any worship to take place for the worship of the Lord God. And the Bible says at that time was known in verse 31 as the abomination that maketh desolate. The, the abominable act that calls sacrifice and worship to cease on the temple mount. The, the abomination being the, the offering of an unclean animal upon the altar and the setting up of a false idol in the temple. After this, there would be a resulting persecution of the children of Israel. Look at verse number 32. It says, And such as do wickedly against the covenant, and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity and by spoil many days. Now when they shall fall, they shall be hoping with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. And some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. And so the Bible says here that the persecution of the children of Israel would continue on. But even though Antiochus Epiphanes' idea for this persecution was to wipe out those people that would not worship him and only leave those people that were clinging to him, God had another plan, had another plan for this um, persecution. Instead of it wiping out God's people, God used the persecution to purge his people. Instead of it destroying God's people, notice it says in verse 32, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And it also says that they would go through sword, flame, captivity, and spoil many days. But when they fall, they will be hoping with a little help, but shall cleave to them with flatteries. Now this persecution for the children of Israel would continue on beyond Antiochus Epiphanes. Notice it says right here in verse 35, it says, and to make them white, it's purging the people of God to purify them even to the time of the end because it is yet for a time appointed. Now right here we have a break in the prophecies of Daniel chapter number 11. Everything in Daniel chapter 35 and before has already occurred in history. It has occurred to precise detail. What this shows us is God very well knows what's in our future. He has proven it through fulfilled prophecy. And we can have confidence that the prophecies listed in Daniel chapter 11 verses 36 to the end of the book will be true as well. Notice it says in verse 36, we see the king of the end times. The king of the end times. Look at verse number 36. 
And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that that is determined shall be done." Now, of course, this king that's being referred to in Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, is none other than the Antichrist. If you're watching online right now, I know you see the picture that is accompanying this, um, this chapter heading. What we see here is a picture of the Antichrist, the preaching of the Antichrist by the name of Luca Signorelli, who lived in the 15th and 16th centuries. If you look at the Antichrist in this picture, he may look familiar to you. Because in the picture, it appears to be Jesus Christ. Yet into Jesus Christ's ear is the devil, Satan, speaking to him. And this is a good personification of who the Antichrist will be. This Antichrist will not necessarily, in the eyes of people, be against Christ. Even though everything he does is against God and against God's workings, the word Antichrist literally means in place of Christ. He will be a substitute Christ. People will look to this man as their Messiah. Yet everything that is true about Jesus Christ will be the opposite for this person. Notice, Jesus Christ is God, yet this man blasphemes God. He will, put, he will speak marvelous things against the God of gods. And he will magnify himself above every God. This man also will not be a prince of peace, but we see because of his reign, we will see a final world religion that will lead us to a final world war. Look at verse number 7. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. This refers to the Jewish nature of the Antichrist. He will be a Jew, yet he will not regard the Lord God of the children of Israel. He will not regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women. What that refers to is Jesus Christ. At the time of Daniel, it was the desire of every woman that she might be the woman through whom the Messiah would be born. And um, every Jewish woman desired to be the woman who would give birth to the Messiah. Yet this man would oppose even the desire of women. Nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces. And a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Remember, Jesus Christ will come to this world as a prince of peace. Yet this man honors, the Bible says, the God of forces. He will be a man that preaches peace, yet he promotes war. Look at verse number 39. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many, and he shall divide the land for gain. We see the beginning of the final world war in verse number 40. Notice it says, And at that time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. Now, when we see the king of the south and the king of the north mentioned in the book of Daniel chapter 11 verses 40 through 43, I want you to understand that we're not merely just talking about Egypt and Syria anymore. After all, the nation of Syria 
is not the nation that it used to be. What this is referring to is a kingdom that is south of Israel and a kingdom that is north of Israel. And the fulfillment of these kingdoms in our world today would be a nation from Africa and be the nation of Russia. These two people would come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen with many ships and shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter also into the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. And he shall stretch forth his hand unto those countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. So we see here that these people are going to come against him and he's going to succeed over them. These people will not escape from him. The king of Egypt will suffer. The nations that fought against him will suffer. And he will have victory for a time. Yet then the Bible tells us there would be some final battles. Notice it says in verse number 43, But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and to and utterly to take to make away many. And he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. So then we see that the final battles will entail another kingdom, a kingdom from the east. This kingdom from the east would be of great number, and it refers to a nation in Asia. Right now, many people think that this nation may be China, or maybe North Korea. We do not know. But the Bible says that when this um, battle would begin, he would begin to come to his end. He would receive no help, and this man would start to see the end. At this point, at this point would be the end of the tribulation, and we will see God's people strengthened and helped. And we will see the deliverance of God's people spelled out to us in the book of Daniel, chapter number 12 which we will begin to, um, next Wednesday. What can we learn from this? Now it seems to me that what we've talked about has been a great history lesson. All it seems to be is things that do not pertain to us. We don't understand why these things are given for us to understand. But I want you to understand the reason why it's there is to give us confidence that whatever God says is true and whatever God foretells will come to pass and God has promised to each and every one of His children. He has promised to do good for them, to give them victory and not defeat. And if we will trust in the Lord in everything we do, God's promises of victory, God's promises of peace, God's promises of blessing will fall upon each and every one of us. And I think that's an encouraging message during this time of struggle we have right now with the uncertainties concerning the coronavirus. We can have confidence that whatever God has said, He will perform. He did not fail during Daniel's day. He did not fail during the days of Antiochus Epiphanes. He did not fail during the time of the early church. And He will not fail today. We have confidence that God will give us the victory. And I hope that you will be blessed by that. At this time, I'll give the service over to Brother Wayne. God bless you. All right, with every head bowed and every eye closed in your home or wherever you're listening, I want to give you a word of invitation. 
because I believe that there's a lot of people that's uh, being brought under conviction as Miss Rebecca plays some invitation song. I just wanted to say this, appreciate the, the good word of God. A lot of verses to cover, a lot of history that's covered, and every minute detail of that history came true. And I believe, as Brother Jeremy said, every bit of the prophecy is going to come true also. And I believe we already have the spirit of Antichrist in this world today. If you don't believe it, uh, you can uh, just look back to Monday and see a man that mentioned God and uh, the left wing, the liberals uh, just were upset because they mentioned the name of Jesus and the name of God. And that's the spirit of Antichrist. And I believe that Antichrist will come and he will reveal himself in the middle of the tribulation and we need to be ready for the rapture. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask you a few questions tonight. Do you know for sure if the rapture took place as Daniel is forecasting that the Antichrist will come and then uh, the Lord will come back and rule and reign for a thousand years, but three and a half years before that, we're going to be raptured up in a twinkling of an eye, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And so if you're not saved, I pray that tonight you'll find a place of prayer. Admit you're a sinner and realize that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And if you'll trust him and believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That doesn't mean you have to be in a church building to call upon the Lord. You can be saved right where you're listening right now. And so if you're under conviction that you need to be saved and you want to be saved, and who does it? You need to realize that you never know how many days you have left, how many months, years. Uh, a lot of people are dying. But I want to tell you something. If you're not ready for the second after death, it'll be an eternal tragedy. And the Bible says if you'll believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God is raised him from the dead. The Lord Jesus Christ died in your place. Let's pray. And maybe you'd like to bow your head right where you're at and ask the Lord to come in your life and save you. And he will hear you because he said he would. He promised he would no wise cast you out. If you'll just come to him believing that he is the son of God and that he died in your place. Father, thank you for the good word of God. And thank you, God, for this book of prophecy that tell us that you're coming soon. And I pray everyone under the sound of my voice, and the sound of this good preaching is ready. And if they're not ready, they can be ready this night. They don't have to wait to church meets once again. They don't have to wait to Sunday. They don't have to wait on a filling. They just need to come by faith and believe you tonight to be saved. And so Lord, please touch someone's heart to bow right where they're at and call out to you and pray and ask you to come in their life and save them and forgive them of their sins. And Lord, believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, for the Christians, Lord, if there's ever a time that we need to stand in the gap, is the day. If there's ever a time that we need to be faithful Christians, not fretful Christians, not fearful Christians, but faithful Christians, it's the day. And so Lord, I pray that many of us will draw closer to God through the good word of God preached tonight. And we'll praise you and thank you 
for all that you do in and through this message. In Jesus' precious name, all for your glory we pray. Amen. Now, if you've been saved tonight, I hope that you'll write us and let us know of your decision. We'd like to send you something uh, in the mail to uh, help you uh, grow in your Christian life and know that you're saved. And so please write us at uh, Whitfield Baptist Church, 2134 Doug Gap Road. That's uh, Dalton, Georgia, 30720. 